everybody ought to stand up and praise God because none of us are excluded from how much He has shown His love. Come on, praise Him. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, blessed Holy Ghost. I'm not just saying this to hear myself talk. But I'm saying this because it's true. God never did another thing to show us how much He loved us. He has done enough. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. The problem is, I don't always show Him how grateful I am for what He's done. I'm way behind. And some of you might say amen on showing Him just how much I love Him. And I don't want our love to be because I want you to give me, give me, bless me, bless me. I just want our love to be. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. I'm alive. I'm alive. Come on. I'm alive. I have eternal life. I have seeing in my eye and hearing in my ear, walking in my feet and clapping in my head and beating in my lungs and my heart. Oh, you love me and I praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, bless his name. Oh, hallelujah. Well, I, I just hate to let you descend, but I know you've got to bless somebody else, including your own self. Remain standing while they descend. Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 7. I like it when you praise the Lord just because you want to. Can I get an amen? Joshua, chapter 7. Let us look at this book that we have been studying this the third week. That I have called as a series of lessons, moving to the next level. And I want to look at this chapter in its entirety, but just to read the first five verses to get us to where we need to be. And oh, thank you, Jesus. And thank God for the anointed worship and music, my brother. Their Bible's in their hands, but we go ahead and praise you with one hand on our Bible. And praise the Lord. But thank you, Brother Ray and Stacy. An anointed, wonderful. I know you can't drop in here one Sunday and be everything, but you sure have been a lot in your anointing and your worship and your spirit. Hallelujah. <laughs> thank you, Jesus. I didn't like to preach some more. Have you sing some more? But I, I like to preach too. Verse 1, chapter 7. But. I could preach on just that word. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah took of the accursed things so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai which is beside Beth Avon on the east side of Bethel and spoke to them saying go up and spy out the country so the men went up and spied out Ai and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let the people go up, or all the people, pardon me, do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. So about three thousand men went up from there, or went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebarim, and struck them down on the descent 
Therefore the hearts of the people melted, became like water. I would like to use for a thought today, lesson three, the high cost of the wrong choice. On your way to the next level, you're going to be given opportunities by forces against you, the devil in particular, to take a shortcut to the next level. On your way to a closer walk with God, reading your Bible and appreciating and praying and growing and defeating the devil in your life and building a better marriage, a better business, a better career, raising your children to the next level, whatever the next level is for you, on your way, you will have opportunities of choices. There's a high cost for the wrong choice. We find that in this book, in this chapter. Would you do me a favor and a blessing by pointing your hands in my direction and taking a few seconds? Would you ask God to bless me so I can honor Him and bless you and together do that? Thank you. And I hear it and I appreciate it. God put food on our tables, showed up when the bills were due. When pain racked our bodies, you gave us healing. So it's not that, God, you've got to prove yourself one more time on Sunday morning. But we do need you every day. Refresh my mind and my body and anoint me in the Holy Ghost. Do not let me serve my agenda. Let me serve yours. Let none of us serve our own agenda. God, I pray that this being Memorial Day weekend, it will be a memorial day in this service. This day will create memories for us that have everything to do with our soul and our going to the next level. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen it is. Thank you so much for the honor of his word and by keeping your scriptures open to the seventh chapter. One word, the first word of the seventh chapter. Sort of an ominous word, the word but. It's, if you will, a little conjunction of contrast given from the end of chapter 6 into chapter 7. A contrast that drives home the reality that victory, victory, is often followed by a threat of defeat. We just came through chapter 6 last Sunday. I told you about it. And I won't preach it again for getting bogged down in the past and not getting to this word today. But last week we talked about Jericho. Wow, what a victory. In going to the next level, Jericho was the first real test of whether Joshua and the children of Israel would trust God to keep his word by saying to them, I'll give you all the land of your enemies. I'll take you into a land that he described as a land of milk and honey. I will chase out your enemies. I will bless you as I promised Moses and all those who followed. And you know, you know the account, what a victory. Six days, they marched around the walls of Jericho, once each day for six days. On the seventh day, they marched around seven times. And at the command of Joshua, the horns blew loudly. The people yelled and shouted. And the walls came down. I'm telling you, the walls 
were two walls of protection. One outer wall, one inner wall. Thirty feet high, both walls. The city encompassed seven acres. A lot of walking, isn't it? Around the walls. When God says walk one time, six days and the seventh day, walk seven times. You know, the whole business of going to the next level is to obey God. Could you, could you imagine there was some of that crowd who said, walk? I've been walking for 40 years. What kind of God is this? I've got to walk now around this place? How many know when you get your own, your own flesh and you try to question what God has for you, you almost often have to wander in the wilderness another 40. But the walls came down. Randy, our lead guitar player, called me last Sunday. He said, he didn't hardly call me you know, about much. He just plays his guitar and does that rock and roll kind of thing there. And I like it and he does good. And he's an ex-rock and roll band player. God filled him with the Holy Ghost and now he's playing for the rock, Jesus, and his name is on the roll. So he's still rock and roll. I don't know, that's not even in my notes, but that's pretty good. Isn't it? <laughs> Randy said, Pastor, I was looking at their sermon today, and he said, the walls, as they are, seven acres, that's a lot of circumference people have to walk, through, walk around Jericho. And he said, you know what, Pastor, the Bible said that the walls fell down and they walked into Jericho and didn't have to climb over the rubbles and didn't have to climb over partial walls. He said, what I think God might have done is create a sinkhole all the way around the walls and the walls just sunk all the way down. That's quite probable. Can I get it? Can God do anything? After that victory, man, they went in. But the Bible says, but verse 7, they started experiencing a defeat. The gladness of the victory they just had at Jericho was soon replaced by the gloom of defeat. And it was all because of the wrong choice of one man. And so in the next few moments, and I trust that I'll be uh, wise in the use of your time on the Lord's time. But in the next few moments, I want to show you about a story here that teaches about the high cost of the wrong choice. Let me, let me summarize what's going on. Joshua tells the spies to go in and check out Ai. The spies come back and they say, you know what, Joshua, our leader, uh, it wouldn't be necessary for the whole army of Israel to go and, and take the city of Ai, because the city of Ai is unlike the city of Jericho. There are fewer inhabitants of Ai. The city is smaller. We don't need to send all 30,000 or 400,000 or so of our soldiers. Just send about two or 3,000 of our soldiers, and that's enough to take the city of Ai. And Joshua said, okay, that's a good plan. We'll go do that. So 3,000 of them went forward. The crucial difference, however, from going to Jericho and now going to Ai was this time God was not with them. And they didn't know it till they got there. The Bible says to us, and you read in, in verse number uh, 4, if you will. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. Look at verse number 5, and it won't be all on the screen. But verse 5, and the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gates of Shebarim, and struck them down from the descent. And therefore the hearts of the people melted, and it became like water. This is very significant here, because what you find is three, 36 men of 3,000 die. And we think, well, maybe that's not a large loss for going to battle. And yet the fact of the matter, it's very significant because this defeat is the only time we read about a defeat under Joshua's leadership. And it's the only report of the Jews being slain in battle. Now, biblical commentators give several reasons for the defeated eye. I'll mention two. 
They say to us that Joshua and the children of Israel were defeated at Ai at their first attempt, maybe because they were too self-confident after going from Jericho. Look what we done, man. Hey, let's just go in now and we can do it again. Or maybe it was because of a lack of prayerlessness before praying after finishing Jericho and going to Ai. They didn't, we don't have a record that they prayed. And I would suggest to you that perhaps Joshua failed to take time to get along with the Lord to seek his direction and his strength for Ai. But at the very least, if you're taking notes, remember this. Israel was guilty of overestimating their own power while underestimating the power of the enemy. I'll tell you something that happened to Israel that happens to me and you sometimes in trying to go to the next level. Many times we try to go to the next level. We rush off trying to get there without taking enough time to spend with God to find out what His will is and how to get to the next level. God gives a reason in verse, in, in, in verse 11 as to why the people of Israel were defeated at Ai. And the reason was sin in the camp. We'll get to it in just a moment. One man by the name of Achan, A-C-H-A-N, one man who was involved in the siege of Jericho, saw the riches of the city of Jericho, and although he was instructed to leave it alone and not to take it for himself, like all the others who were going into Jericho were instructed not to take any of God's possession for themselves. This one man disobeyed. And what we find is there's a high cost for a wrong choice. I proceed to give you some points on this. And the first of the points that I want to make from this chapter is that sin affects others. Look on the screen or look in your scripture. We're going to read verses 10 through 12. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? I'll pause there to give you a little more background since I didn't read the whole chapter. After verse 6, verse 7, 8, and 9 tells us that Joshua was in complete shock and fear. And it is manifested in the way that he said to the Lord, what are we going to do? Lord, did we miss your will? We took Jericho, but now a small little town of Ai causes us to run. Why, God? I want when the other inhabitants of Canaan, the promised land, find out that we are defeated before a little old town, what are they going to think about us? What are they going to think about you, God? Which he talks about in verse 9. And Joshua spends a whole day from sunrise to sunset with the elders of Israel in the tabernacle of God, at the ark of God, which is the presence of God in the holy place. And they change their clothes and put on clothes representative of mourning and grieving. They put on, they put on themselves dust and ashes, which also is a representation of grieving and mourning. And all day long he sheds tears, he falls on the floor, he lies prostrate on the floor, his belly and face in the dirt and the floor, crying out to God all day long. What has gone wrong? What has happened, God? And God says, get up. I'll tell you what's wrong. Look at verse 11. Israel has sinned. And they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. Look at verse 12. 
Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turn their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. And here's a terrible, terrible, awful statement of God regarding His people. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed thing from among you. I tell you all that to say your sin affects others. No one's sin is ever just his business alone. It affects others. No matter how secret a sin might be, its effects spill over in the life of other people. If you don't believe me, ask Arnold Schwarzenegger, whatever his name is. Ask him if sin doesn't affect other people. Ask the former governor of the great state of California if it is very public. It has ruined his marriage. It has caused pain for his children. Because I am saying to you, my brothers and sisters, my sin cannot be isolated from you. And your sin cannot be isolated from me. Because sin corrupts. And what is done in private has a very large public effect. Go ahead, say amen, old me. I know we live in a cocky, arrogant, sinful world. Where when we warn our children, don't do that, it will affect our family. When we warn a husband or a wife or somebody we care about, do not hang with that crowd. Do not make that choice. Do not so-and-so. And they say things to you sort of arrogantly. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. I'm my own adult. I do my own thing and it won't bother anybody else. And I'm here to tell you that's a lie out of hell. Many of you this morning are not at the next level you should have been because somebody else's junk has been dumped on you. I'm preaching whether you're... <laughs> I'm just trying to tell you. Some of you, you would have already gotten your degree and finished that level. You would have already gotten a promotion. You would have already paid off for that house or that car. But somebody else thought they would do some things and it wouldn't bother somebody and their family. And now you've had to go get a loan to pay off their debt. You've had to go get a loan to pay off their bail. You've had to show up. You've lost your job more than once because somebody else's sinning has kept you out of work. You've come too late to tell me that how you live your life and what you do with the world and the flesh and the devil doesn't affect everybody else. Sin affects others. And God said to Joshua, verse number 10, the King James Version says, Get thee up. The New Living Translations, God says, Stand up. The New American Bible Standard Bible says, Rise up, Joshua. And the New King James says, Get up. I'm trying to tell you God told him to get up. Why? Because laying around in this dirt on the floor in this holy place is not the problem. There is sin in the camp. And I want you to get up. And go face it. Somebody here help me. Joshua, I want you to be the leader that I have called you to be. You can't lead the people of God with your face in the dirt while moping about, depressed over defeat. I am holding this whole nation responsible, the Lord told Joshua in verse 11, for the sin of the people. One man's sin is casting everybody else in a place of possible death 
and a lack of going to the next level. Oh, help me, Lord Jesus. And here, look at this. Here's how it affects everybody. I want you to see the last part of verse number 12. Look in your scriptures. Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the cursed thing from among you. Oh, listen to me. How dare we ask God to bless money that we are stealing from Him when we don't give our tithe and offering? Because that's the accursed thing. When I take God's money and spend it on myself, when He said, bring 10%, the tithe into the storehouse, and I dare ask God to give me a raise or promotion or pay off my house or pay off my car or heal my body or touch my children, God says, I'm not going to be among you. I'm not going to break my own law and my own word to bless you. Somebody ought to say amen. I'm not here about delivering my mail. I'm here about talking about the Word of God. And God says, you don't dare ask me for anything. The healing of your body, the blessing of your marriage, another job, the paying off of your debt, or or anything else, unless you get rid of the accursed thing. And I'm saying to you, brothers and sisters, that there comes a time in our life when the Holy Ghost shows you where you're messing up, where the Holy Ghost says, get up. (laughs) It's Memorial Day weekend. I'm trying to give you a memory. When the Holy Ghost, through reading your Bible or the loud preaching of a little short Indian man, convicts your heart and my heart, we got to get up and quit whining and making excuses about if my mama didn't or my daddy didn't or my ancestors didn't. Dust off yourself! And get in the presence of God and say, thank you, God, for loving me like you do. That you rebuke me and correct me one more time. And since you gave me another chance, I will fess up and repent and clean up. If anybody knows that's God's word, you ought to give him some thanks. Oh, mama. Now, now here's what God's plan is. God says, I'm going to show you who the man is. And this is how I'm going to do it. Okay? Now look, look in your Bibles, if you will, in verse number 14. If you dare say amen. Matter of fact, I prefer verse 13. Get up. <laughs> As if one time ain't enough. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, sanctify yourself for tomorrow. Because thus says the Lord God of Israel, tomorrow. Everybody say tomorrow. He says, there's an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. Verse number 14, in the morning. Everybody say, in the morning. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribe. And it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to your families. And the family which the Lord shall come by their household. And the household which the Lord takes shall come by man by man. Verse 15. Then it shall be that he who is taken with the accursed thing shall be burned with fire. And he and his... All that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. So Joshua, oh, hear me now. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit checked me. God's got this plan for revealing the one person who caused the whole nation to be in defeat, and 36 families to lose a loved one in death. And I'm thinking... Why didn't God just tell Joshua, get up, I'll show you the man and send you to his house? Instead of saying, tomorrow, in the morning, I'm coming into the camp. Everybody wash, clean, sanctify, bathe, repent, 
Because in the morning, I'm going to show you. And it might have been like casting of lots. Because that's how sometimes God elected to show his plan and purpose about whom he selects for whatever. When there was another means of knowing God's will. God says, I'm going to pick out the tribe that man is from. I'm going to show you. It would be the tribe of Judah. He said, I'm going to show you not only the tribe, I'm going to show you the clan or the family. And it would be the family, the son of Camry. And we, we talked about the karma. I, I would show you the, the tribe, the family, and then the man himself. And I'm thinking, why wait till tomorrow? And, and I got the Holy Spirit's answer. Because God was saying to everybody in the camp, when the evening before Joshua blew the ram's horn and said, God is going to show up in the morning. We ran from the people of Ai. Thirty-six of our people died. And God told me there's sin in the camp. And, and he told me that somebody has touched the accursed thing. Now, let me see. The accursed thing was this. You go back to chapter 6, I think it's verses 19 and 20, or somewhere in that region of that chapter. When they went into Jericho, God says, Don't you take a thing, gold, silver, anything precious or valuable, for yourself. Bring it to the tabernacle and to Joshua. It will go in the treasury of the house of God. The first of the spoils of all the cities I'm going to give you, the first city is Jericho. And all of the precious gold, silver, garments, everything precious, I want you to bring it to the house of God. But kill everything else and burn the city. I want you to kill men, women, children, livestock. It's the judgment of God. But do not touch the things. Give me the first of it and I'll take care of the rest of it. I alluded a while ago. Give me the first 10% and you'll be left with 90%. But if you give me the first fruit, the first fruit, the first 10 don't give me what's left over after you pay your bills. Don't give me the crumbs. If you give me the first fruit, it's the law of the first fruit in the Bible. If you give me the first of the wealth of the city, I'll take you and make sure that every city you go in after this, you can have all the gold, all the silver, all the jewel, all the livestock, if you'll just honor me. But if you touch it, you touch the accursed thing. You know why God waited in the morning? Because he was giving Achan one more chance to fess up and confess and say, I'm the man. Anybody hearing me? Huh? Isn't that just like God? Just like God. Because I, I want to say this to you. I, I want you to see that sin will be uncovered. Ask Arnold. Just want you to know. And why are you picking on Arnold? Because the mentality of America is to pick governors and athletes and Hollywood types. People who are unsaved. And watch their life and how they live. That's how they think they ought to live their life. Shack up, have children outside of marriage, and go ahead and fornicate and adulterate. But because I'm a governor, because I'm an athlete, because I'm a country music star or an American idol, and I make more money and have more fame, God has a different standard for me. No, God has the same standard. I don't care if you're a governor or mayor or president or preacher or pauper. God hates sin, and He will reveal it. I'm preaching the Word if you ever heard it. Yes. And then what we have done in America is we have selected parts of the Bible that we want to adopt because those parts don't convict us. <laughs> Pastor, how are you going to grow a church preaching like that just like God's growing the church all over the world? I'm not trying to build an attendance record here. I'm trying to get people to heaven. We just happen to have, to have more space because more people want to go to heaven. 
I feel a what? But I'm too sophisticated to yell like some hick. Ask the guy in the hotel in New York, the president of the International Money Fund, whether he had consensual sex with that, ma that maid or he forced himself on her. Sin will be uncovered. Don't we all just kind of, we kind of find ways to, we got by our mama. If you can get by your mama, you got a lot of head start. She don't know. You know, I used to think my mama wouldn't know, but God and mama had something going on. You listen to me, mamas. Your teenage daughter, your teenage son, or whomever your older daughter's son, I don't care if they're adults. They're messing around. The Holy Ghost. If you are praying, mama, you help me preach here. If you are praying, daddy, they may be sitting out in California. You're living down in Sharpsburg, Georgia. The Holy Ghost is going to say, get up and pray right now. And then when you call them on the phone, you'll say, what you doing? And they're going to say, what do you mean, mama? My mom always prayed out loud. She would go into the bedroom and pray out loud. And I think she did it for two reasons. Number one, praying out loud sometimes uh, drowns out the other thoughts that come to your mind while you're praying silently. Sometimes I pray out loud deliberately. Sometimes I read my Bible out loud deliberately because I'm talking about you when, when I'm in my place of... Because I don't want other thoughts to overwhelm what I'm saying to the Lord. So my mom probably did. But the second reason I convinced my mom did that was because usually when I'm home, she's praying out loud after I've been not so well in my behavior. And she'd be praying in the bedroom, and I'm in the living room trying to listen to TV, and she'd be telling God all my stuff, all my stuff. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. And it'd make me mad, and I'd turn the TV up a little louder, and she'd pray a little louder. You get by your mama, you think you got by, but let me tell you something. Every sin will be uncovered. Let me give you a little lighter moment here, lighter, lighter moment here, because this is kind of heavy medicine for Memorial Day. The, the guy who always got in the habit of drinking, staying out late, did that another night, and he was at the bar and he was drinking and got in a fight. Now, I, don't know, I don't know about drinking, you know. <laughs> they tell me. I, 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 they tell me when you're drinking and you're boozing it up, you... you it changes your, you know, your chemical makeup and it, your adrenaline. And, uh, and people who were once wimp believe that they're the giant Goliath. They're going to take on the whole bar. They ain't got five cents in their pocket to finish this drink, but they're going to buy a round for everybody. Now, now, I don't know that personally. I just know some friends that I have who told me about that because I got some ex-drunks out there now who got saved. And now they're drinking new wine. It's the wine of the Holy Ghost. And they are often drunk in the Holy Ghost. But, you know, I, I do know, I, 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 we've had it in my family. I know about my, my grandpa on my mother's side, and when he had a terrible habit, and others. And, and, and some of these introvert people come out as extrovert. And, Will, you know that. You're a police officer. You, you go after some people, and they think they can take you all in the whole force. And, and this guy, he gets in a fight. He comes home that night, and he sneaks in the house. And, and what he does is he goes to the mirror before he goes to bed, his wife is asleep, and he sees all the bruises and, and the marks on his face that he got from fighting. And so he, he proceeds to climb into bed. And what he does is he looks in the bathroom mirror and he bandages up the bruises and the bumps. And he goes into bed and he, smiling as he lays in the bed, pulls a cover on him and he, he thinks, I pulled one over my wife. 
So when the morning comes, he, he opens his eyes and there stood his wife. She stands and she says, you were drunk last night, weren't you? Oh, no, honey. She says, well, if you weren't, then who put all the band-aids on the mirror in the bathroom? <laughs> you see? Putting band-aids on the mirror in the bathroom to cover up your bruises is quite like what you and I try to do to think that we can get away with our sins. Will, you'll like this one too. The, the Catholic priest was stopped on the highway for weaving, driving outside the lines. Officer came up. Priest had on his collar and all, so you recognize he was the father. Rolled the window down. Father said, bless you, my son. The officer says, Father, uh, sir, may I see your driver's license, please? You were weaving in the, in the highway here. And, uh, says, uh, when he rolled the window down and got his car and his license, he could smell it on his breath, alcohol. Not only that, but he could see a bottle of wine on the seat. He said, Father, have you been drinking? And the father looked at, oh, he looked at, saw the wine, act like he had it, seen it before, and the bottle. And he said to the officer, oh, my goodness, good God. He done done it again, turned water into wine. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? What we use to try to cover up so we don't get away? I don't know what you think, but God never sleeps and He has x-ray vision too. He has night glasses if He needs them. I'm a hallelujah to Jesus. Too bad you can't leave now because we locked the doors. I've got some more preaching to tell you. Here's a third thought. Sin has its attractions. I'd be an idiot to try to make you think that sin wasn't pleasurable, fun, fascinating, and charming. Why do you think that Eve gave in? Because the devil made it look fascinating. And the Bible itself says sin brings pleasure for a season. But it never shows you the price for making the wrong choice. The sum of what I want to say to you is that when Achan described the things that he took from Jericho... The, the Bible, it says he called them spoils. He took spoils of war. He used the word spoils because he wanted to rationalize what he had done. Because usually in, in that kind of culture, in that context, when you went to war and whatever you captured, it became your possession, a legitimate reward for going to battle. But the wealth of Jericho, according to God, were not spoils and they were not plunder. They were sacred things that became a curse if somebody, if anybody, broke the rules. Can I get a witness here? I, I say to you that the only thing that came out of Jericho alive, chapter 6, was Rahab the harlot, the prostitute, the, the woman of the evening. Her and everybody in her house, God spared from Jericho. Everything else died or was burned up. Because Rahab helped the two spies that Joshua sent into Jericho. And God says, because she helped the people of God, I'm going to save her and her family. I don't care how low down you've been or how far you've gone or what title you had in the past. If you come into blessing God and serving God and repent, He'll take care of you. Now, now let me sum up here. Here's what, here's what Achan did. He saw it. What did he see? 
Look, let me, let me hurry here. Are you all okay? You still with me? I want you to see what happens when he's confronted. Verse 21. Verse 21, chapter 7. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them, and they are hidden here in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Look, look what sin does. First we see, he saw it. What did he see? He saw a designer garment, Babylonian, made in Babylon. When he opened it up, it didn't say J.C. Penney. It says, it says Babylon. Fine piece of clothing. He thought, wouldn't I look nice in this? Somewhere later on, he took 200 shekels of silver. It's right here. Coveted it. He took a wedge of gold weighing, he says, here, a wedge of gold, let me make sure, 50 shekels, am I right with that? Yes. Saw, coveted, took, and hid. That's just how alluring and attractive sin is. It first begins with our eyes when we gaze at it too long. Then it gets in our mind how we could do this and get away with it, so we take it. And we hide it, not realizing that God, God sees and God judges. Let let, let me hasten to tell you, Mm -mm. there's a law of sowing and reaping that works for everybody. Let me show you what it is. Three laws. What we reap, what we sow, we reap. And what we reap more than we sow. And we reap later than we sow. Let me say it again so I don't get confused. We reap what we sow. If we sow darkness, sin, rebellion, secret sin or otherwise, it's going to come back one day. But it always comes back a little later. For Arnold, it was ten years. And it always comes back more. Final thought. Sin has consequences. Please hear me when I tell you. This man and his whole family was taken outside. Look, look at verse 20, 24. 24. You there? Say amen. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkey, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. Verse 25. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. The word Achor means trouble. The Valley of Trouble. And I'm going to try to wrap it up with this thought. Some reading the scripture will think, how could God be so unfair? How could God be so mean? How could God allow the others, the others to, to uh, take this whole family, an innocent family and children? Only one man sinned. But here's, here's what sin does. It costs you everything. Disobedience, possession, family, relationship with God, and inheriting the promise of God. 
Disobedience costs everything. You never get to the next level of disobeying God and be blessed. And somebody says, it's so unfair. And if you'll back up and understand that just because we in America, many in America, take sin lightly, doesn't mean that God takes sin lightly. How serious does God take sin? Look, 2,000 years ago, outside the city of Jerusalem, on a hill called Golgotha, known as Calvary. How serious does God take sin? He turns his head while his own son has been beaten to a pulp. and You can't even recognize his image. He's been nailed with nails to a tree. He's been hoisted semi-naked in public view. And while the earth shakes beneath him and the sun refuses to shine above him, and he cries out to God, why have you forsaken me? God turns his head for a moment because sin is serious. And I'm telling you all that to say to you that our problem in Christian America is we, we don't think that sin is such a big deal. We can't understand God's anger because sin doesn't bother us as much as it used to bother us. I'm going to tell you this. <laughs> I want you to understand. False prophets come and false prophets go. False preachers come and false prophets go. So the world didn't end last Saturday at 21st according to that false prophet. But they will come and go because the Bible said they would. But this word, this word will never change. I'm here to tell you this morning that this story ended in hope. When they went to Ai the next time, they moved out of the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble, and went to Ai the next time, and God gave them a battle plan and gave them a strategy, and they won because they stopped long enough to face the stuff in their lives. Bow your heads, please. Christians, prayer team, intercede in your spirit and in a whisper. I have a question for us, for me and you. Are you Achan, A-C-H-A-N, the man I preached about? Are you Achan? Am I Achan? Is there some stuff that we need to bring out and deal with so God can deal with before it gets to be everybody else's business and hurt so many other people? Have you got some stuff hidden? Achan hidden all, hid all this stuff in his tent. Hoping nobody would find it. But God told them exactly who the man was. And when they went to his tent, they found the stuff. You don't have to be Achan anymore. Today. Today, you can leave the valley of trouble. And move to the next level. Pastor, God knows it and I know it. I'm not right with God. And if I die today... I won't go to heaven. And I'm not going to fool myself. God knows it. I know it. Matter of fact, other people know it. I'm not. We ought to be with God. If that's you and you want to be where you should be with God, you want to get right with Him, raise up your hands. Hold it up. Pray, everybody. Thank you. I see. Hold it up. Hold it up. I want to count your hand because I want to be. I'm not going to call your name, but hold it up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Put them down. Put them down. I saw 12 hands. Keep them down. I'm going to give 10 more seconds for people who didn't raise their hands just now. You need to make it right today.
today. If you didn't raise your hand a moment ago and you want to raise it now, you say, Pastor, I'm not going to let this day go down in history where I rejected God once more. I'm coming to Him. I need Him as my Savior. If you didn't raise your hand a moment ago, raise it right now. You've got 10 seconds. Hold it up. One. Thank you. Two. Three. Four. Thank you. Everybody stand. Everybody stand. Oh, blessed Jesus. We're going to pray. Oh, hallelujah. Now, after you stood, you kind of got your balance and your footing. I want you to reach up way up high. As you stretch, you praise Him. Reach up like you're stretching and then raise your head up straight and say, Thank you, God, for not making my stuff public. Thank you, God, for not killing me when you could have. Thank you, God, for giving me forgiveness a hundred times. Come on. Thank you, God. You don't have to do another thing to prove how much you love me. Come on, come on. Come on, raise up those hands. God, I'm not going to hell like the devil wants me to go. I'm going to heaven. I praise you. I'm not aching today, God. But if I am, there's forgiveness for me. I want everybody, including, especially those who raise their hands for salvation, I want everybody to encourage them by everybody repeating this prayer out loud. Everybody repeat after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for another chance. I admit it is me. I have sinned. You know it. I know it. Others know it. And today, Lord, I'm not going to hide it anymore. I'm not going to make another excuse. I'm going to confess. I need you, Lord. Come into my heart. Wash away my sins. Make me a new creation. Lord Jesus, I confess that you are the only begotten Son of God. I ask you today to wash away all my sins. Make me a new creation. Write my name today in the book of life. By faith, I am saved. By faith, I am changed. I receive your gift in Jesus' name. Amen. Now put your hands together and give him some thanks. Come on. Come on. Let's do it like we're congratulating those who got saved and ourselves. Oh, here's what I'm going to do as we close. I want the prayer team to come stand at the altar. I want the prayer team to come and the prayer partners. And here's what I'm going to do with closing. If you raised your hands a moment ago before you leave, come and meet one of these prayer partners and just let them know you prayed salvation or you came back to God. They'll give you a, a card. You'll just give us some information to pray with you more. You won't join the church by filling the card out, but you'll be accountable by saying, you know what, I want this church to pray for me that I got saved. Can I get an amen, somebody? You don't need to leave here with your covering alone. Before you leave, and when we dismiss in a moment, I want you to come. If you need prayer for healing or prayer for deliverance, you're already saved, they're right here to pray with you. But if you got saved, I want you to come in Jesus' name and be confirmed in the covering of the body of Christ and the work of God. But I want us to sing what, what you're playing or whatever you want to sing, brother. We're going to leave here like people who have hope and not death. Go ahead and lead us. Thank you, Jesus. My chains are gone. Lift your hands and declare it. I've been set free. My God, my
tell you this only because the Holy Spirit leads me and I always check it sometimes you hear me come off of here and you think he's just rattling off what comes to his head and that's less true than you might think because I always check it by the Holy Ghost <laughs> sometimes I do get in the flesh take a little joy in having therapy over you <laughs> but here's what the Holy Ghost told me to tell you you got to get it out of the house the accursed thing oh, yeah. you got to get it out of the car you got to take it out of the CD player. You got to take it out of the DVD player. Come on. You got to go to the library, pull it out. You got to take it out of the fridge and under the bed and wherever else it is. If you mean business to go to the next level, my chains are gone. Raise your hands. My chains are gone.